Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Here's Carr back into the gun. In trouble. Didn't get hit from behind. Sack fumbled. Ball's loose. This is the press box. Derek, uh, the the, uh, the wide receivers didn't get a lot of get a lot of targets and catches today. Obviously, um, is this uh, what Darren you say? Did, What's that? Darren did though. Oh yeah, yes he did. Okay, we checked that box this week. On ESPN Las Vegas. That's all we need to know there, Derek Carr. Uh, he doesn't read or listen. He has no, one cares, under, no one cares. He has been living under one hundred point nine FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared on a Monday. Hope you had a good weekend. Let's get to Derek Carr. The first bite. Should the Raiders get players Derek Carr wants to play with? I think the Raiders should get Devontae Adams because they need a wide receiver, <laughs> and I don't really care if Derek Carr wants to play with them. And Devontae Adams is good. Yeah, and Devontae <laughs> Adams is good. So, uh, Vinny Bossignori, you can hear him on Raider Nation Radio, um, wrote for the Review Journal, uh, talked to Derek Carr, and asked Derek Carr about salary expectations for a new contract because Carr while he does one year left on his deal, uh, could be getting an extension this offseason. And Carr's response was, obviously that's in mind when I'm thinking about all that. But there's also some football players I want to play with, so I keep that in mind too. Which hints at the idea that Derek Carr would take less money to help the Raiders sign some better free agents? Uh, I think it does. I think that means now, again, what's less money? I still think he's thinking in the 30, 31 range and not the 40 range. But I, I think that, that he might do that. Has he done? Did he do that before with the 19 and $20 million contract? No. When the the, when the they, last the contract last extension he signed was the highest right. paid so player in the history of the do sport it there. for like a month. Right. But he took the biggest deal he could possibly get. At the time. I mean, if we believe what he says, Raider till he dies, doesn't want to play anyone else, we would retire if he had to play anywhere else then I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with, then I'll take a little less money to play with people or, that I want to play with. If we're going solely off what Derek Carr says, you're right. He said he wants to be a Raider for life. He'd retire rather than play somewhere else. Then he's playing for $7 million next year, right? Like, he's taking a massive pay cut because if you had Derek Carr for $7 million, all of a sudden he's one of the most valuable contracts in the league. Especially if uh, Marcus is making eight. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that'd be kind of weird. But like I think if you took everything that he's just said between that and this now where he says there's some football players that I want to play with so I keep that in mind when talking about his salary, his future salary here, then we should absolutely expect Derek Carr to take some sort of a discount to play with the Raiders. Now, that might just be what Derek Carr says because A it sounds good and B Hey, it gets the fans on your side, right? I mean, sure. Derek, I mean, listen, take less money. As critical as I've ever been of Derek Carr, if you get that guy for ten million dollars a year, uh, that's that's phenomenal. That is unbelievable. Like that's a terrific. That is that is the the same value as a good quarterback on a rookie contract that yeah. we talk about all the time. If you got Derek Carr for like ten million now. If he signed for $10 million, there might be an investigation into the Raiders as to <laughs> what else they're giving him. Uh, but you're right. If he signs for $31 million a year, he signs for $32 million a year instead of $38, $39, you know, that's an extra $8 million or so that the Raiders might be able to use to either lure a big name like Devontae Adams or even just spend it somewhere else or spread it around to a few other guys, few other 
positions. So that's uh, an interesting part of this is how much Derek Carr is willing to take. I would still say this, even though he said it a couple of times or said a couple of things that would make you think he might take a pay cut. I'd still be surprised if he signs for less than $35 million a year. Okay. I was going to say 30. So we're in the same ballpark. I, I think the first, I think the number is going to start with a three. I don't yes. think it's going to start. If it look, if it starts with a four, then he's lying and he, oh, wouldn't he take did less not money. take any pay cut yeah, whatsoever. If pay, it's a four, <laughs> even 35 is a lot <laughs> yeah. um, for him saying he insinuating he would take a pay cut for the players. Do you think, um, uh, look, I think Devonte Adams is obvious, you know, the whole Fresno state, uh, he's, he's talked about Devonte Adams before. Um, I think he wants to play with them. He says others, or there's, there's players I want to play with. Do you think some are already on the team? I hope so. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, I, I think that he, whether it's free agents to be, um, Guys who are, you know, going to supposedly and here in the next week or so either get his their fifth year option picked up or not. Um like you think he's talking about Josh Jacobs? Might be talking about Josh Jacobs. Because I, I, he's some of these have to be on his team. The, he doesn't the, have that big a list. Right. The majority of uh free agents for the Raiders is it's defensive this year, right? They don't have a lot right. that they're losing offensively. Like it's Marcus Mariota and I think Richie Incognito are probably like the two biggest free agents they have on offense and those guys didn't didn't even play last year for the most part. So it might be picking up Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option. Do you think Derek Carr cares enough about Josh Jacobs to be like, hey, I want this guy. Keep him around. He's good. We can't uh, replace him or something. I, I don't know. I just – the interesting part here with Derek Carr and the Raiders is that he said so much about being a Raider for life and all that. I am curious – how much does he try to give his input on what the Raiders should do in the offseason? Like, that's what I'm fascinated I mean, to see here. I like, think he gives his input. I think the important part is, does McDaniels and Ziggler listen? Right. Like, do they care what he thinks? So let's, you know, let's just hypothetically say the Raiders sign him to this extension. They give him whatever, 31, 38, whatever the dollar amount is. They give him a big extension and he's the Raiders quarterback for the next five years under contract anyways. At that point, if you're Derek Carr, I feel like you, you're probably thinking, I've got some power. I've got some input, right? They just paid me. I'm their quarterback. Right. They Not that they have to listen to Derek Carr, but I would. I think if you're Derek Carr, you're walking around thinking, yeah, I, I'm going to give my input. This is what I think we should do, and they'll listen to me because they just paid me. So I am, I am curious how much he would go out of his way to say, hey, I really want to play with that guy and how much McDaniels and Ziggler would say, huh, our quarterback wants to play with this guy. Maybe we should go after whoever that wide receiver, whoever that left tackle or whatever, right tackle, whoever that is. I'm curious to see, because the other part of this is Derek Carr's not Aaron Rodgers. Like we saw Aaron Rodgers sort of dictate the whole bring back Randall Cobb type thing. Derek Carr's not Aaron Rodgers. No. Right? The Packers are Super Bowl contenders if they keep Aaron Rodgers. The Raiders are maybe a wild card contender if they re if they keep Derek Carr. So he's not Aaron Rodgers. And I do wonder how much if you're Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, do you look around and say, eh, we don't really care what you say, Derek. Like, yeah, you want Devontae Adams, but we're not giving him $26 million a year because we have three other holes we got to plug. A new regime, no relationship other than probably trying to form one right now. If I had to guess, I don't think they care what he thinks. Yeah. And I don't know if they should. Yeah. And I mean, it's probably, probably if you re-sign him, and that's fine. You want him to be your quarterback. But then that's where it should end. I mean, 
You can listen to the guy. Yeah. I mean, listen, if they were if they were like, let's let's do another hypothetical for you. If there were if they're trying to sign a wide receiver and let's not throw Devontae Adams, let's say it's Mike Williams and Allen Robinson, right? Two of the good wide receivers, but aren't quite Devontae Adams that could be free agents this offseason. Let's say they're they're they they want they're interested in both of those two, and Derek Carr comes along and says, you know, I really like Mike Williams. If that's sort of the deciding factor, then great, go get Mike Williams. But if they have zero interest in Mike Williams and they love Allen Robinson, then they're going to try to get Allen Robinson. And Carr comes along and says, you know, I really like Mike Williams. No. You probably don't throw everything away and say, well, let's go get Mike no, Williams because I don't think you do because Derek Carr wants him. Right. I don't think you do either. He hasn't been. He's not. I don't a, think he's been good enough to right. have that kind of juice, but. In all fairness, like you brought up Aaron Rodgers, I don't know how many are. What does Russell Wilson have that juice? I mean, there you can count on. You can't even get one hand. I no, think through the guys not. who would have the juice. Probably not. So that's the interesting part here. And I don't know that Derek Carr's walking around demanding that they go no. sign Mike Williams or whoever it is. But it would be interesting to know, like, sort of that dynamic. Because the other part with Derek Carr is he's about to have been the quarterback of the Raiders for a decade. Like we're we're coming up on his ninth season if they extend him or keep him around where he's the starting quarterback of the Raiders. They've been to the playoffs twice. They have not won a playoff game since Derek Carr has been here. There has got to be a level of him where he is like, good God, I want to win. Like, like, right. and if he thinks he's smart enough, if he thinks he knows which players are going to help them win, he's absolutely walking around saying, listen, I really want to win. I think these guys are going to help us win. How can I... How can I take some control of my own destiny rather than just let 74 different coaches I've had in the decade come in and always mess it up? Because that's seemingly been what's happened every single year with Derek Carr. New front office, new coaching staff, and they've basically never put an actual good team on the field, right? right? They've had two teams go to the playoffs, but that's neither one. I mean, you wouldn't have considered either one like actual. I guess the team that won 12 games before Carr got hurt, they were in the division race, but... It's not like they've had a true Super Bowl contender at any point in Derek Carr's tenure because they can't put together a good roster. I mean, if you sign him to $30, $35 million deal and he and his agent you know, say, hey, we have some ideas, I mean, for lack of a better term, you take the meeting, you sit down with him, yeah. you listen to him because he might be on the same page with you. Right. For all you know, they might say, hey, we love Allen Robinson too right. and you love him and good, let's try to go get him. But push comes to shove – Brand new organization. Uh, Ziggler really a full-time GM for the first time. McDaniels, his second stint as a head coach. They're making the decisions, and I think they should. I mean, that's why you hired them. You hired them to make the decisions and try to either rebuild the team or continue on with what they have and try to to go further in the playoffs. So I think you listen to anything Derek Carr says, but I don't think he he has the power to change your mind if you don't want it changed. And I don't think he should. I mean, he got his contract. He got his 30 or whatever million. He's fine. He's set up. You listen to him, and then you make the decision you think is best for your, your organization. So what's should we give a prediction on what we think his extension will be? Two years, 30-plus. Two years additional to, to the yeah, one so that has. would put him on three years. So he'd have three more years. Okay. Let's say three years, $36 million a year. Okay. So you'd have to play twenty this year. Yeah. So the twenty this year, and then the he'd get thirty six and thirty six. They might whatever restructure it so he gets more money this year. But the new money would be three extra years and thirty six million dollars on each of those three years. So that's over a hundred million dollars over three years. Yeah, and you could guarantee a little more than half of it. Yeah, fifty million guaranteed or something. Whatever they want to do with that. That's my prediction for. Now, if he comes, if he comes back with a three year deal, thirty six million a year. Are we are we talking about him taking a pay cut? Like, would we consider that a pay cut? 
I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Like I wouldn't. Because maybe it's like a couple million, right? Maybe he could have gotten 38, 39, and he That's got 36. But you're not doing much with an extra no. two or three million, right? Like 30 might be. Yes. Now, if you can come back and say, hey, we saved you 10 million against the cap. Hell, that's a starter. Yeah. You can go sign a starting whatever linebacker for safety or something, right? Like low end, but you can get a starter for ten million dollars, mm-hmm. basically. Or you can throw an extra ten million at Devontae Adams more than any other team is offering. Sure. <laughs> get him to come here. So that's that. I'll be curious to see what it is and if we truly consider it a pay cut or a taking less, or if it's just oh, okay, you took a million off and wanted everybody to think you were being nice. Tom Brady. His extension with the Buccaneers, one year, $25 million. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. But he retired. So he oh, okay. That kind of screwed him. Kind of, I mean, they got a Super Bowl, but they're kind of screwed now. <laughs> How many games did the Bucs win this last year? Did they get to 12? 11? Whatever it was. How many years is it going to take them to win 11 or 12 games again? Doesn't three? matter. They got the Super Bowl. I guess. It's going to take them three more years to get to 11 or 12. They're going to win like three a year until then. With Who's who's in line? Kyle Tratt? Blaine Gabbert? Yo, Gabba Gabba. But they also have Kyle Trask, I think, right? The the quarterback from Florida that never played because he couldn't beat up Blaine Gabbert. Yeah. They Kyle won, Trask. They won 13. Oh, taking yeah, four yeah. years. Four years to get to 13 wins again. If that. The Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, if, if they can even do that. I guess the one good thing is a lot. Their division sucks. Their division does suck. They got they get to play yeah. the Panthers, Falcons, and the yeah. whatever the Saints have left yeah. of their roster twice for the next three years. So yeah. maybe maybe three years. But, yeah, it's going to take him a little while. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV basketball as they fell to Boise State over the weekend. Josh backs away, throws it out top to Williams. Williams drives. Williams down the right side. Euro step, reverse layup is good. 27-21. There's the Reno shot. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. All right, Ed. What the hell happened to UNLV's defense on Saturday? Man, I was watching that last. I was watching that. That wasn't very good. They so we spent like two weeks on this show talking about how UNLV's defense has been inconsistent. They have really good games. They have really bad games. And then they went on a run here before that Boise State game. They had three straight games where they held opponents under one point per possession, and it was Fresno State, Nevada, and Colorado State. Right? It wasn't Air Force no, and was, San Jose it State. Teams. It was it was the top. One of the best teams right. and then two pretty good teams in Fresno State right. and Nevada. Three good defensive performances in a row. It was okay. This defense has turned a corner. And then Boise State scored 1.3 points per possession, which was Boise State's second best game of the season offensively. And UNLV defensive efficiency-wise, their second worst game of the season. They gave up 21 second chance points on 13 offensive rebounds. And Boise State hit 11 of 24 threes. Like, they, again, they went from a run there of really good defensive play to one of the worst performances they've had the entire season on defense. I've never seen the buffoonery of giving that many offense rebounds on missed free throws. Five. I, I've never, five. You <laughs> gave up five offensive rebounds on missed free throws. There was a point. That was weird. There was a point in the game where Boise State had missed five total free throws. And they had rebounded four of them and scored eight points on those four. Uh, Did you tweet rebounds. that they might as well let them or hope that they make the free throws? No, Grimala, well, Grimala tweeted that Boise State wants to start 
cheering for misses on their own right, free okay. throw attempts. And UNLV really said, no, make the free <laughs> throws because we might give up more just to, <laughs> on you missing them. So the interesting part about the, the offensive rebounds, I think there's one player that deserves a lot of blame. When you give up offensive rebounds, generally the whole team deserves some blame, especially off of missed free throws. But like the weird part is that David Mwaka deserves a lot of blame for UNLV giving up offensive rebounds. He didn't do a very good job blocking out, and it was usually his primary guy that was getting the offensive rebounds, free throws or just regular missed shots where they got a bunch of offensive rebounds as well. But the fascinating part is that David Mwaka did a pretty good job protecting the rim. He had some good uh, uh, rim defense in that game, and David Mwaka scored in this game, Mm -hmm. right? He He was a big beneficiary of Boise State sort of helping other places, but he scored in this game. So it's like David Mwaka had a positive impact, but he also might've had the single biggest negative impact on the game because he could not get a defensive rebound while he was on the floor. It was fascinating. And the other part is that it has not been a problem like the entire season. UNLV has not had like this massive uh, defensive rebounding issue the entire year, right? They've been a slightly above average defensive rebounding team for the majority of the season. It came out of nowhere. Like Boise State's a good rebounding team, but not enough to where you'd be like, oh, they're just going to crush you and LV on the offensive glass. It, I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere. And I don't know if that's like, I don't know if you should expect that to happen again, or if that's a sign of, oh, you and LV's got some real problems and Wyoming and New Mexico can take advantage in the last two games, or it's going to be the reason they lose in the Mountain West tournament. Like, I, I don't really know if it's more of a fluke or if it's a sign of, hey, this could keep happening. Boise also hit some really long threes. So here's the interesting part on Boise State's three-pointers. They hit 11 of 24, which is a fairly ridiculous number. But coming into the game, UNLV was allowing less than 30% from three right. for their opponents. Um, if you believe Ken Palm, Ken Palm basically did a like a little study into three-point defense. Basically, Ken Palm found that defenses, three-point defense is like a myth. You as a defense don't actually control the percentage of threes that go in because for the most part, when teams take threes, they're not contested threes. You're not blocking a lot of three-point shots as a defense. So when a team takes a three, it's generally an open shot. And so for the most part, whether or not your opponent's threes go in is luck. So UNLV this year, if you believe that, has been very lucky defensively because nobody has made very many threes against them in Mountain West play. And against Boise State, they were very unlucky because Boise State drilled 11 of 24 threes. But what does Bart Torvik say about three points? <laughs> Probably the same thing. Okay. Well, I thought we were a Bart Torvik house now. No, we're both. They're great. We use them in tandem, Jared. Just wait till you learn about Evan Maya. He's great, too. Oh, Jesus. Oh, we're adding the third, the trifecta, the trifecta of analytics. <laughs> so that's uh I can't keep this straight, game. man. That's okay. All if you're a college basketball analyst, just uh, short first and last name, <laughs> and put it in. Because Evan Maya, by the way, he's like Ken Palm. His last name is actually long and confusing, um, but it's uh, he just goes by Maya instead of Mia Koski or something like that. I have one other complaint for you. I see it here. Uh, Kevin Kruger, last four minutes of this game, zero offensive creativity. To be fair. He has Bryce Hamilton and their run in the second half was off of zero offensive creativity. Uh, But the last four minutes, they simply just ran a high ball screen for Bryce Hamilton on effectively every single possession in the last four minutes. There was like one or two late when they were down like eight that they just ran it up and shot it. But they basically ran a high ball screen for Bryce Hamilton on every possession down the stretch. And there. 
even like pre-act. There wasn't even action beforehand to get the defense moving. It was just Bryce Hamilton slowly brings the ball up the floor. Here comes the ball screen. Try to beat the defense that way. Very NBA-esque type of end of game offense from UNLV. Bryce Hamilton's good. Bryce Hamilton is very good. But against what is the best or second best defense in the conference, Bryce Hamilton simply giving him a ball screen and asking him to beat it was not going to work. And here's what Boise State did. They just simply trapped him. Right. They gave Bryce Hamilton a ball screen in the last four minutes. And yeah. Boise State, they just said, they made him give up. You're going to pass the ball. You're going to give up. The We're ball. going to be right. aggressive. You're going to pass it. And somebody else right. is going to have to score. Donovan Williams got a couple of uh, free throws out of it because he caught a, a pass and drove and got fouled at the rim. But that was it. UNLV had turnovers. They couldn't actually get quality looks up because UNLV didn't run anything. They just gave a high ball screen to Bryce Hamilton and said, hey, work some magic, and he couldn't because Boise State trapped him. UNLV needs more offensive creativity. Even if you, even if the play ends up with Bryce Hamilton getting a ball screen, which is what UNLV loves to do, they've done a really good job this year of running like a play that has a whole bunch of like eight seconds. A lot worth, of movement, a lot of action. Eight seconds worth of ball movement, player movement, right. and then it ends in a Bryce Hamilton ball screen. But the defense is not set and ready to go because they've been defending for eight seconds already. They just stopped doing that. In the last four minutes, they just said, here's a ball screen for Bryce Hamilton. I think that I don't know the UNLV wins because they were losing already in Boise State's it's a good team. It's not like they blew this to some bad team, but they certainly would have had a much better chance if they had a little bit more creativity on offense. So I think that was a a big problem down the stretch for UNLV. Did you like Leon Rice calling the timeout? <gasps> Where was the fight in the handshake? Why didn't Kevin Kruger slap someone in the face? <laughs> I just don't get it. He was far too nice. He he waited on... You saw the handshake, and it wasn't a fast one. It wasn't one of those quick ones. He actually stopped and talked to Leon Rice. And I, and I don't think... And Leon about didn't swing out. back? No. Come on. Time out with... Uh, up eight with 50 seconds left. Yeah. UNLV mm. was pressing. Uh, was Michigan? Yeah, that's why he <laughs> called Michigan the timeout. No, that's why Wisconsin called it. He wasn't pressing. He was in pressure, he was, pressure he five. Pressure five. <laughs> Good Come correction. On. Good correction. I, I, I think Kevin Kruger didn't try to fight the entire Boise State coaching staff because he's not a moron. <laughs> I think okay. that's the key there. He is not a moron. <laughs> like others. And he is not. he's not mad that the opponent took a timeout. Right. Up eight. No, in fact, when they left. took the timeout, the camera went to Kevin Kruger and he got his guys around with the board and started drawing some stuff up, <laughs> like a coach should. Instead of saying, "I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna punch someone in the face after the game," punch someone in the face. So there's UNLV. By the way, with that loss, they're still in pretty good shape to get the five. Seed. I think they're going to be in the four or five. Um, they it did open. They'd the have door. to lose the last two, and others would have to win. Right. And Fresno still has to go to San Diego State. I, I was looking at the schedules there. Right. Fresno State, yeah. San Diego State, and Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, I think they're both on the road, too. And if they if they lose both of those, I think that clinches the five seed for you. And UNLV. I'm not sure San Diego State can catch third. I did, Colorado State's in third. I don't think they can catch them. Uh, they can't. Well, I don't know who has the tiebreaker. Colorado State. Oh, they split. So Okay. Well, uh, they got, but San Diego they State both, got they swept both have by four Boise. losses. They both have four losses. Yeah. Colorado State and San Diego State. So they can tie them on record if San Diego State won out and Colorado State lost out. So. I, do, I know Colorado State plays. Uh, Boise, I'm not sure who. And I think that's play. their last game. Yeah. I think they only have one left. Right. San Diego State still has. Oh no, they can't because San Diego State's only playing 17. Right. San Diego State and Fresno State, are, so they cannot catch Colorado it's State. It's four or five yeah. against San Diego State. Yeah. So they they, they probably can't. Two thirty in the afternoon, baby. Oh, you're excited. Oh, you're babe. excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Coming up next, we catch up with Ryan Odom, the head coach of Utah State. Greg McDermott waves to the crowd. It's over. Providence College. Biggie.
Ace champion. What a terrific game, too, to watch. Oh, oh my goodness gracious. Oh. And we just got it, doused ourselves here yeah. with a computer. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Wait, Jared, who was that? Providence radio call? Yeah, that was the Providence radio call. And apparently fans dump beer down the back of the play-by-play guy. Oh, it was beer? It wasn't uh, like a Gatorade bath? No, it was, oh, uh, yeah, apparently okay. the people who sit behind. Okay, not very happy. All right, so we do not have Ryan Odom, the head coach of Utah State. But in the meantime, I do have a, a question for you about Bryce Hamilton. So... When you miss Super Bowl week, I had this conversation with Adam Candy about Bryce Hamilton and how he was basically a lock, barring an injury. He was basically a lock to get in the top 10 all time on UNLV scoring list. He did that on Saturday against Boise State. Bryce Hamilton right now sits 10th all time on UNLV scoring list. He is 20 points away from moving up to ninth on the list. Um, he could technically get to eighth, but he'd have to have, 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 to have a monster into the season or you know, he would have to go on a run and play some extra games, possibly in the postseason beyond the Mountain West tournament. But my question on Bryce Hamilton, he's a top 10 scorer in UNLV history, scored more points than all but nine guys in the history of this program. How high do you think he ranks in terms of like best player, favorite player, however you want to do that? Because I feel like he's going to be one of the more underappreciated guys that's had one yeah. of the better careers in UNLV. What do we hear about the Hardway Eight? We hear about the national championship team. Uh, we saw uh, Robert Smith. There's a lot of jerseys hanging up there. He's not going to get his jersey retired. He shouldn't. So I don't think, and look, I'm not going to go off the top of my head in terms of the top 10 scores, but just of those two teams, I don't think he'd be, in people's minds, anywhere near the top 10 of that school all time. Now, I saw a tweet the other day, someone wondering if he's national player of the year. <laughs> So <laughs> there's people out there who think he's had a really good year. Listen, I mean, he's not going to be conference player. I was going to say, he's so, not going to win conference player of the year. So now he might, he might deserve it, but he's not going to yeah, win conference win player of the year. Um, I don't think he's, I, I, he, look, I, I think you said the best word underappreciated. Um, I think he had a fine career. You know, you've talked about in the past about lack of defense and efficiency with him early in his career. I think a ton of credit goes to him for getting better and improving. He obviously worked on his game, came back this year, flirted with the NBA a couple times. He's, I, I you know, look, he's a, he's a good college player. I don't think he's anything beyond a second-round pick and get into the second round this year. But that shouldn't mean anything about how he's perceived at UNLV. That's a completely different storyline in terms of what he's going to do as a pro. Um, I just don't think he's top 10. In people's minds, you're asking right. about in people's minds. I don't know because – you know, they're going to say Larry John. They're going to say that entire team. They're going to say the hardwood eight. And eventually you're going to get to like 15 players probably before anyone mentions them. Right. And so there's two things context wise. Number one, like he's top 10 on the list. Part of the caveat to that is a lot of guys didn't play, but two years at UNLV, right? right? Like, you know, J.R. Ryder, who a lot of people say might be the, the best player that's ever played at UNLV at the college level. He only played two years at UNLV, right? right? Larry Johnson, two years, even Anderson hunt three years. Like a lot of these guys didn't play four seasons. Bryce Hamilton's in his fourth season. Now his freshman year, he barely played. So he's had three years to, to run it up. And here's the other part, Bryce Hamilton. He can come back next year because of a COVID year. And if he does, he will probably become the all-time leading scorer in UNLV history. If he comes back next year, he will probably pass Eddie Owens for the all-time leader. But even if he doesn't, he's still top 10, but that's a, the context is, is how many years you have playing at a high level. The other part of this is team success. And UNLV has had zero team success with Bryce Hamilton, right? Bryce Hamilton being a good player hasn't led to UNLV hasn't winning been to the games. NCAA tournament. 
Right. Because for the most part in his career, he's a scorer. He gets his shot and he doesn't do a whole lot else to help the team win. He has had moments in this year, maybe more than others where he's had, he's been a good passer, right? He's had some games where he's shown off a good passing ability, but for the most part, he gets his shots. He scores his points. Yeah. He's a below average defender. Yep. He's not a tremendous facilitator. He's not a great rebounder. Like he scores, but he doesn't do a whole lot else to help the team win. And you know, that's not, I get, I don't think it's really fair to throw on him because you can have other players that do a lot to help the team win. And they just haven't had many of those since he's been here. It's been him. I mean, it's, he hasn't even this year, like who's their second best player this year. Like Donovan, Donovan Williams, Williams is the number two scorer, but since he came back from injury, he hasn't really done much. He had a good stretch there against Boise State, but like Royce he's Ham, he's been he's been very good without really a clear cut, you know, number two and three. Hey, these guys are also right. really good. So it's a it's a fascinating way to look at it because he is going to be top ten, but it's going to be a career where you look back and say, okay, that's yeah, that's nice. You never even went to the NCAA tournament, barring something special happening in the Mountain West tournament this year. So. It's it's a fascinating way to look at it. And I would say the other part of this is if you are a UNLV fan that is still a diehard UNLV fan now, right? Obviously, they've lost a lot of those. But if you are still a diehard UNLV fan, if you're a guy that's that's watched all their games for the last decade or so, Bryce Hamilton's really high on the list of like important players over the last decade. Because if you you look at like since the last time they went to the NCAA tournament, so let's say eight years, last time they went to the NCAA 2013. tournament. Who's been the, the most fun player to watch? Probably Bryce Hamilton. Bryce Hamilton. Right? I mean, they had Christian Wood. They had Patrick McCaw. Had Steven Zimmerman, Brandon McCoy. Like, they've had some names that have been through here. But Bryce Hamilton's had a better career than all, right. th- all those guys. I mean, no doubt about it. He's had a better overall career than every single one of those players. Like, if you're if you're still a diehard UNLV fan... Bryce Hamilton over the last eight years is probably your favorite player of the last eight years anyways. And if you're a 15-year-old UNLV fan, Bryce Hamilton probably is your favorite player. Well, he player. probably is because you don't know right. about any of the rest <laughs> other than what dad's telling you. So that's the fascinating part with Bryce Hamilton's legacy, that he's been very good. And, been I'll, a- and I'll be honest with you. I want UNLV to go to the NCAA tournament just for Bryce Hamilton. Yeah. Like just, I mean, and he said it multiple times. He said it back in the summer when we first got to talk to him after he had to come back. He said it in season a couple of times now about, yeah, I wanted to come back to go to the NCAA tournament. Like he's, he's talked about that very openly, not like afraid to put expectations out there, which they obviously aren't going unless they win the mountain West tournament this year. Like I, I kind of want him to go for Bryce Hamilton. Cause that would put a, that would put a good cap on his UNLV career, right? If they, if they, this year went to the NCAA tournament, and even if they lost in the first game, right? If they, they'd get in as like a 12 seed as the mountain West cha- tournament champions. That would put a good cap on his career that he got to play in the NCAA tournament. And then if he goes pro or whatever he does, or if he comes back next year and breaks the scoring record and they go next year, there's no reason for him to come back. I would think not. Um, He's not going to be first round NBA draft pick. Right. So I do think he maybe gets into the second round this year. Maybe if he has really, really good workouts, I think we know what he'd be as a pro. And let's be honest. Are you coming back? And I mean, if he's not a really good defender to this point, he's not going to come back and be a good defender. Like you said, he's shown some some ability to pass. Not a great rebounder. He is who he is as a player, and I don't think he can come back. And I mean, is he going to come back and do this again? What's his ceiling? Right, and so here here's the thing with Bryce Hamilton. The biggest improvement for his draft status 
for, for what he's done this season is his three-point shooting mm-hmm. has gotten better. Because if you go through his career, right, his first season he shot 30% from three. Not very good. His second season he shot 34%, which is dead average for college basketball. Last year he shot 30% again. So for his career, coming into this year, he was a 31%, 30, 31% three-point shooter. That's not good, right? That is a bad three-point shooter going into the NBA. He's shooting 37% from Mm -hmm. three this year. He's shooting 39% in conference play, right? Like, he has shot very well. And if you look, just they've played eight quad one games. He's shooting 46% from three in those games. He shot very well against the best opponents from three this year. If teams believe his three-point shot is fixed, this is probably as good as it gets. If he comes back next year... He's and got, shoots 30%. He's more likely to regress from right. three-point range than get better at And again. I think they're going to tell him. I asked last week, you know, tomorrow night's – is it tomorrow? I'm, excuse me. I'm, I'm sorry. Wednesday night uh, against Wyoming. I asked, would you know, is he going to be involved in senior night? And they believed he would be. I just think it's a foregone collusion. And he is I think a senior. They, <laughs> he is a senior, but I, I think they would tell him to go. If there's a conversation there, I would think I, – I, I would – I'm convinced they would say, you need to go. In a, in a you know a respectful way. I mean, the, the, you know, I'm sure. Look, they're going to have to. You said it before. Where are they getting the scoring next year? Now we don't know who they're going to sign. We don't know all the players and how they're going to come in and translate. But it's 22, 25 points a game. You're going to have to replace. Right. Um. So it's not that they wouldn't want that 22 to 25. But I think in his best interest, they're going to tell him, look, this is the time for you to leave. Uh, you've had a great year. Go have really good workouts, and you can get into the second round and be drafted and be on a team. You know, for summer league, and you're going to try to make a team. So the other reason to go is simply to just start making money playing basketball, regardless yeah. of whether you think Bryce no, Hamilton No, because he's going to make money somewhere. Because it, there's a couple of things. Bryce Hamilton, obviously, if he gets drafted and makes an NBA roster, you're, you're making money doing that. Sure. But outside of that, like the G League or pays better now than it has in the past. It's not great, but you still get paid to play basketball, unlike To go college. overseas. And then, yeah, Bryce Hamilton is good enough to play in another league that's not in the United yes. States. Now... Does Bryce Hamilton want to go to Europe and play basketball? That, that's always the big question is, like, as a basketball player, do you actually want to leave the United States to go play? If you don't, then your options are limited. If you do, your options are plentiful, and, right. and Bryce Hamilton is good enough that he can go somewhere and make money and play basketball. So that's the other thing is, you know, you're not getting younger. The athletes' careers, their their career window is very small. Bryce Hamilton should probably go pro simply to start making money playing this sport. Yes. Whereas if he comes back to UNLV, sure, he can make some NIL money, but at UNLV, it's probably going to pale in comparison to a, I mean, you're going to get a six-figure contract playing somewhere in Europe, most likely. Yeah. So I would expect Bryce Hamilton to be gone. I guess there's an outside shot he comes back if he just gets bad feedback again from the NBA draft level and and has has no chance. I think his, but, tra- I think his, I think his feedback would be better yeah. this time. But I, would I, assume I so don't too. know. I mean, look, he tried it twice, right? Right. And... The, the other problem for him, NBA draft status-wise, he is at the college level, ball-in-his-hands scorer. He's not good enough to do that at the NBA level. Right. So right. at the NBA level, he's got to be a role player, which means, A, you've got to be able to shoot, given that he's a, you know, six, what is he, six three, six four Maybe. shooting guard? Yeah, you're right. He's got to be able to shoot, given that he's, you know, uh, going to be a shooting guard when he's on the floor for an NBA team, and he's got to be a uh, competent defender. And those are the two biggest question marks in his I mean, game. Might be wrong. I think he's more six two, but that might be yeah, whatever I mean, he ends up yeah. being. So and you better be really good at six two, right? So that's sort of the issue. Is he, it's not like if you told if you if he's in whatever league in Europe and it's like, hey, he's going to be the leading scorer on the team. 
he'll probably thrive in that role. But at the NBA level, no team is saying, even with the second unit, Bryce Hamilton's not good enough to where a team saying, yep, we're turning the ball over to yeah. Bryce Hamilton for uh, 11 minutes a night to be our leading scorer with the second unit. He's just not good enough. He's got to be a role player and the things role players do well, he doesn't do well necessarily. Coming up next, we'll get into the NBA because the 76ers are either going to be fun or terrible depending on how much you like free throws. Seven seconds left. Suns have a timeout if they want it. They loop it over the head of Booker and out of bounds. Jay Crowder just looped the pass over Devin Booker and out of bounds. It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Did you see that play yesterday? I did not. Suns get a rebound down a single possession in the final 10 seconds. Have a timeout. They do not call their timeout to advance the ball. Instead, they let Jay Crowder dribble the ball up the floor, and he threw it out of bounds, threw it like in the third row. <laughs> like they didn't call. They had a timeout to advance it. And Ten seconds is a lot, too. It's right. Like two or three. And he threw it out of bounds. And the, the weirdest part is Jay Crowder throws it out right over his own bench, by the way. Monty Williams on the sideline has his clipboard in his hand like he's ready to draw up a play. Like, I don't know if he thought he called a timeout or just thought his players were smart enough to call it. He clearly thought a timeout was coming, and they didn't, but Jay Crowder threw it out of bounds. I don't know what the hell happened. And the only thing worse than that was Lakers-Clippers on, what was that, Saturday? I did watch that. There was a 10-minute review to yes. see if LeBron oh, James was, was out of bounds. Oh, my God. It took t- it literally took 10 minutes. And then LeBron, who I who believe, I believe was wrong because they can they can review that his, yes. foot, his foot touched before he let the he's ball go. yelling to Richard he's Jefferson. He's yelling to Richard Jefferson. They can't do that. <laughs> and then Richard Jefferson, what, what do you say? Um, he's like, you're asking the wrong guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, brother. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, okay. But then on top of that, the Clippers got called for an eight-second backcourt yes. call because oh, so what happened is the Clippers almost got called for an eight-second backcourt call, but they got bailed out by a foul call. The Lakers challenged the foul call, and the refs determined it's not a foul call. So the Clippers had two seconds to get across half court, and they threw it in bounds in the backcourt behind the free throw line and got an eight-second call. Well, and like they didn't know that you could get called for eight seconds in the NBA. The ref assumed they tried to foul at first and he didn't call it. And then there was no foul, but they, he assumed the Lakers were trying to foul. So he did call it, but it wasn't a foul. Yeah. It was was disaster final two minutes of that game. And the Lakers, I wanted LeBron to make that shot. Oh, he did get a, he did a corner three to tie the game. Hit the rim. That would have been kind of cool. Now the Sixers, they've played twice now with James Harden. Uh, They blew out the Timberwolves the first time. And then they beat the Knicks yesterday. One twenty five. 109. Joel Embiid, after that first game against the Timberwolves, said it's the most open he's ever been. Who's that a shot at? Yeah, ben Simmons. <laughs> um, but here's my question for you. The 76ers yesterday set the season high for free throw attempts and free throw makes by an NBA team this year. Joel Embiid alone shot 27 free throws, made 23. James Harden, a lowly 10 free throw attempts <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Are the Sixers going to be unwatchable because of free throws? I've watched them with these two, and I love watching them with these two. I'm going to say no. The, now, the 27 is actually funny. Can you say that again? Because 27 that's, a, because that's actually preposterous for, uh, for Joel Embiid. <laughs> I like watching them. I, I, well, I'm not going to – I can't go back. i got to stay with who I picked, so I don't want to stay with who I picked. But 
Um, well, don't worry. I picked the Bucks, and they've lost like half their games this year. This yeah, they lost year. To my team yesterday. Yeah, it was. I guess it was yesterday. Yeah, when Kyrie had like thirty six or whatever it was the other day or Saturday. I do watch. I do like watching the Sixers though. So with these two. There's two different parts of me when it comes to the 76ers and the free throws. There is the like analytical, you should do what whatever you can to be the most efficient. That part of me absolutely loves the 76ers because they have probably the two guys in the league that are going to generate the most free throw attempts right. in Embiid and Harden. And in all honesty, probably the two guys that generate the least deserving free throws <laughs> yeah. as well, right? So, like, they're going to shoot a lot of free throws. And the analytical side of me loves that because free throws are, like, the most efficient thing you can do in the game aside from get a wide-open layup or dunk, right? You want a lot of free throws when you have good free throw shooters. So I love that. Just run pick and rolls with those guys. Let James Harden do his step back and draw uh, fouls on three-pointers. Joel Embiid drawing fouls at the rim. That's phenomenal. But the other part of me that enjoys basketball from an entertainment standpoint believes that free throws are one of the worst thing that's ever happened to the sport <laughs> because free throws are boring. We, oh my we, God. we take 10 guys, they stand or nine guys stand around and watch one guy shoot a uncontested medium difficulty shot, right? Like that's not a fun thing to watch, but it happens so often in games because that's the standard punishment for when you foul. So the entertain, the part of me that likes basketball is entertainment despises the 76ers because they should be doing this and they're going to do this and it's going to be boring to watch because I'd, I'd much rather watch Harden and Embiid set a pick and roll and it end in a dunk, a dunk or a block dunk at the rim, whatever, than, oh, Embiid fouled and he's going to shoot two yeah. free throws. My personal favorite is Harden's going to the rim and somehow the other team's guard is stuck in his armpit. It's <laughs> a great move. Yeah, literally, he's running, he's swinging his arms back and forth and suddenly a guy's like, he's got me! Yeah, his oh, face is in his armpit. Listen, James Harden is like one of my favorites simply for exploiting rules. Yes. Just like that one. He where, does an incredible job at that. And, and they've called it a lot less. That was one of the points. Of so what, but he jumps back. Or he, but when a hooking guy's in with his right. own arm, where if you, if your arm gets anywhere near his hip, he's, he's, <laughs> he's hooking you. you he is pinning your arm against his body. And the refs were going to call that a foul on you every single time. The step back one is also fun. I've, I've talked about this a lot, but Kawhi Leonard gets hurt right in the playoffs because I can't remember who it was, but was in his landing zone when he landed. And so they made the rule of emphasis. Hey, if you're in the shooter's landing zone, that's going to be a foul and they're going to get three free throws. So James Harden became so good at the step back three that you had to contest the step back three. And now you're in his zone. And if you contest a step back three, you're almost guaranteed to end up in the landing zone. It's one of the greatest exploitations of, of a rule in NBA history. And he got so good at it that a Ricky Rubio <laughs> he invented a new way to guard stood behind James Harden when he guarded him in the playoffs because they would rather him drive to the rim than take a step back three and b the the Warriors finally kind of solved it by instead of closing out right face to face they the would side. jump to the side and they just go to the side just wave Try their hand out there they so they kind of solved it where all right you're not getting free throws we're going to kind of contest the shot <laughs> And it, it worked for the most part. But it's one of my favorite loophole exploitations in sports. It's phenomenal. But Ricky, it's also, go stand behind him. Oh, it's great. But it's also, like, kind of boring because, you know, free throws are boring to watch. And I'd rather watch you just shoot or dunk or something Those that involves that. Those two are going to be a pretty dynamic duo, though.